0: Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and moved closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Good morning. Jordan, one of the pastors here. Always a true delight to be here with you and to open up God's Word together. Some of you, uh, most of you, were probably at the park last Sunday. We have a few visitors and guests, so I'll try to catch you up because this is part two of part one, which was last week. Looking at Hebrews 11 and 12, and essentially the question before us is, what is faith? If you could bring up the first slide for me. This is the definition we're working with. Faith is action in response to God and his unseen promises, and that was last week's sermon, and this week's sermon, with various earthly outcomes, but always with the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. So we looked at Abraham's example. Next slide. I was going to ask Matt to bring some slides last week, and he said, how? And I said, good point. We're outside. So now we're going to catch up. This is Abraham. Obeying God's promises. Last week we said, faith has legs. Faith is action. It's an action in response to God's love and his promises. It's something, not really that you possess, but something that possesses you. And then second, we said, faith isn't the same thing as a good plan. The difference between a plan and faith is that a plan doesn't require the death and resurrection of Jesus to work out. The aim this morning is to explore what exactly we mean by work out. Do we mean that if we have faith, everything will work out okay? Well, the answer is no and yes. So we're going to start by looking at no, and then we'll look at yes, and that's the sermon. So do we mean that if we have faith, everything will work out? No. Having faith in Jesus does not mean that everything is going to be okay. Because faith is action in response to the unseen promises of God with various earthly outcomes. Hebrews 11 surfaces this tension. We heard it read this morning. Having pointed to Abraham as as the father of faith, the the beacon of faithful action in response to God's promises, the author of Hebrews goes on in verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 32. He says, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about all these heroes who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Okay, pause. If we stop right there, what is faith? It's victory. It's strength. It's conquering, right? But in the very next verse, verse 35, the author flips the script. Next slide, please. Here it is. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. A faithful reading of Scripture gives the prosperity gospel no quarter. In these ominous words, we are not reading of what might happen to those who have faith. We are reading about what is currently happening to God's faithful people who are receiving this letter. The author of Hebrews is writing the letter to most likely Jews who had become Christ followers, and they are now being tempted to shrink back from the faith. Why? Because if you were among the original recipients of the letter of Hebrews— You or someone you loved or knew, your neighbor, your friends, your co-workers, had probably been imprisoned, lost their homes, lost jobs, faced violence, maybe even killed for their faith in Jesus, because sometime around this letter was written, the Roman Emperor Nero, who many of you probably know about, he had his sights set on this little Jesus-following sect of Jews, and he had begun blaming them for this fire that had destroyed much of Rome, which he almost certainly started himself. Christians were walking around with a target on their back. Persecution was beginning to spread. Meanwhile, Judaism was protected, offered protection by the Roman government. So Jewish Christians are now like little fledgling birds without a nest. And they're wondering, maybe we should go back to the safe nest of Judaism so we have the protections of the government. So naturally, a murmur begins to arise. Maybe trusting Jesus was a mistake. I mean, look where it's gotten us. Maybe we should return to the familiar, safe nest of Judaism before Jesus. And then these spirit-inspired words are kind of written in response to that murmuring arising. That's the book of Hebrews. And the answer that the book gives is not, trust Jesus and you will escape suffering, everything will be okay. Rather, it is, Jesus is worth trusting, even through immense suffering and discouragement. Because the truth is, faith is action in response to the unseen promises of God with various earthly outcomes. I mean, it's brutal here. You might be sawn in two, says the author. You you might be stoned to death. You might be ridiculed and homeless. And when we read these words, you know, let's acknowledge that this is actually still the reality today for many Christians around the world. Open Doors USA is a ministry dedicated to supporting uh, the persecuted church around the world. Here are the words found on their homepage. Slide seven, please, Cameron. It may be surprising, but Christian persecution around the world is one of the biggest human rights issues of our day. A woman in India watches as her sister is dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't know if her sister is alive or dead. A man in North Korea prison camp is is shaken awake after being beaten unconscious. The beatings begin again. A woman in Nigeria runs for her life. She has escaped from Boko Haram, who kidnapped her. She is pregnant, and when she returns home, her community will reject her and her baby. A group of children are laughing and talking as they come down to their church's sanctuary after eating together. Instantly, many of them are killed by a bomb blast. It's Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. These people don't live in the same region or even on the same continent, but they share this characteristic. They are all Christians, and they suffer because of their faith. This year, over 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. 360 million. Almost 6,000 Christians killed for their faith this year. Around 5,000 churches and other Christians are being attacked. Buildings are being attacked. Around 5,000 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. So, sisters and brothers, it might not be okay it might not all go well, whether because of persecution, as we've just seen, or simply because maybe for more of us in the West, just the fallenness of the world falling on us in ways that are really hard. Disease, an untimely death, a broken relationship. The Bible is clear with us, even when you trust Jesus, it might not be okay. It might be really, really, really hard. So hard, in fact, that you might be tempted to leave the faith altogether, just like this early the Jews in the early church were. Now for many of us, you know, the temptation to leave the faith might not be because of severe persecution, especially here in the West, but maybe just like cultural pressure that we feel. You know, whether it be Jesus's very um, countercultural and unpopular teaching on money or sexuality or marriage on the one hand, or the church's misrepresentation of Jesus and the devastation of abuse scandals, or extremist groups, or political idolatry, and the like, on the other hand. For whatever reason, you might just be feeling and wrestling with this question, is Jesus worth all this? I mean, maybe he is, but is his body, the church, worth it? I don't know. Is it worth the risk of being ostracized and misunderstood, associated with the wrong crowd? Is it worth giving up a measure of autonomy to live in community with people that I, you know, sometimes have a hard time getting along with? I certainly feel that pressure sometimes when discouragement sets in, I've come back to this passage, which is really the heart of Hebrews in so many ways. Hebrews 12, 2 through 3, slide 8. Sometimes I just put my name in it, Jordan. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Against this backdrop of everything we've said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Again, Faith isn't something we conjure up. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is worth enduring for. That is a summary of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is worth it. I mean, the, the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of scripture this morning. That's why I'm putting it on the slides. We're just moving through it. The book of Hebrews opens with this exhortation about the worthiness of Jesus. Hebrews 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke by, to, the, uh, to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken us to us by his Son. And then it goes on to list, just just extol the glories of him, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. And after making a purification of sins, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I mean, one of the ways that we learn to endure is being captivated by the glory of Jesus So, once again, the question, if we have faith, will everything work out? No. Faith is an action in response to God with various earthly outcomes. But Jesus is worth enduring those outcomes for. But now we need to look at the other side of the coin. No and yes, right? Endurance, which we're called to, is not eternal. You know, a long race, as you runners know, a long race requires endurance, but part of that endurance is actually fueled by the hope of a finish line, isn't it? So the question, if we have faith, will everything be okay? Yes. Having faith in Jesus means everything is going to be okay. And not just okay, but really, really good in the end. Consider the faith of Abraham and his wife Sarah. God calls, Abraham obeys, and they're called to go to the promised land, and then God promises them innumerable offspring, as many as the stars, right? And they respond in faithful action, and yet what happens? They die, having merely glimpsed the promises from afar. They are still living nomadically in a land that is not entirely theirs when they die, and they have only had one son together. They're just glimpsing it from afar, these promises. Slide 10, the author of Hebrews notes this reality. He says, all these heroes that that we've been talking about in this hall of faith in Hebrews 11— Each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, and they waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. People who live in this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country... They could have gone back anytime they wanted. Abraham could have turned around and walked back to his home where his father was waiting and his friends and his job and his wealth. But they were after a far better country than that. Heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. Abraham greeted the promises from afar, but the promises are so much nearer to us in Christ. Aren't they? The author tells us finally that When faith doesn't feel like it's working out well, what are we to do? Fix our eyes on Jesus. The Greek for fix your eyes is not the simple verb for just seeing, like looking at for a long time. It's a complex word, and it means get face to face with the object that you're looking at. Get close. Fix your attention on it. And with exclusive devotion, it has this implication of don't look there at other things. Fix your eyes on it and reflect on it, and meditate on it, and that's the call for us. Because the joy set before Jesus, who's that? That's you. He endured the cross. You are his joy. The night before his betrayal, he prayed for you in the upper room. In John 17, he prayed to his father. He said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Have you ever thought about that, Jesus desiring your company? As he's going to his betrayal and death, what was on his mind? You, your fellowship, your friendship, your company. You are his joy. Where is he now? He's in the heavenly country where God is, and he's preparing a room for you, and he's preparing a feast for you, and he's waiting to welcome you with an embrace. And so that's the final message of the Scriptures. Trust him, place your faith in him, and even through various outcomes here Eventually, you will be at the finish line, and you will cross the finish line, and you will hear him say to you, behold, I am making all things new. And around you will be the city of God, without stain, without blemish, without various outcomes, but all good and beautiful outcomes. And you will rest in the glory of God, and there will be wholeness and joy and unbounded goodness in God's redeemed world. So will everything be okay in the end? Having faith in Jesus does actually mean that in the end, everything is going to be okay. All will be well. All manner of things shall be well. It means the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. So ultimately, then, we don't don't actually even glimpse Jesus from afar. We meet him intimately, face to face, as we fix our eyes on him in the quiet You know, this is a call to go into the closet and pray, to spend time meditating on him, fixing your eyes on him, getting your gaze off the other things that have captured your gaze, and pointing him back upon Christ and his very spirit, not far off, but his very spirit indwelling you, urging you to endure hardship because he's worth it. So what then does the church today do when when she is persecuted and maligned, especially in some parts of the world, from without, or she is sick and corrupt from within. The call is the same either way. In the words of Dane Ortland, in Gentle and Lowly, this is slide 11, the Christian life boils down to two steps. Go to Jesus, see number one. It's pretty simple. The call is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Faith is action in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always with the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. Father, I pray that you would apply this truth to our hearts. Life is full of challenges. We know that. Our own hearts are full of challenges, it can be difficult to endure. We pray that you would just gently and lovingly help each one of us to fix our eyes on you, to, to look at you, and let that be the substance of our spiritual life, fixing our eyes on you. And as we do, would you fill us up with this hope of your ultimate reward? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.